According to economist Tom Friedman, the globalized economic world is flat. Everyone's connected to and dependent on everyone else. Is the same true in the world of medical research? Welcome to the special report on global medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and joining us to discuss the globalization of medical research is Dr. Edward Holmes, Vice Chancellor and Dean Emeritus of Health Sciences at the University of California, San Diego, and Executive Deputy Chairman, Biomedical Research Council, Singapore, and Executive Chairman, National Medical Research, Singapore. Dr. Holmes, welcome to Reach MD. Good morning. So a couple of years ago, you decided to split your time between Singapore and the U.S., How did this opportunity come about, and why did you even consider it in the first place? Well, I had previously been advising Singapore on a number of panels for a period of six or seven years. And over this time, I came to recognize really the extraordinary commitment at all levels of Singapore to the Biomedical Sciences Initiative. And quite frankly, I was so impressed with the extraordinary opportunity to be a part of what I view as a grand experiment that's going on in Singapore right now in the broad area of biomedical sciences and translational clinical research in particular, I couldn't pass up on this. I was at the right stage in my career. I was stepping down from my role as vice chancellor at UC San Diego, and I happened to be meeting with Philip Yeo, who in many ways has been the architect of the the biomedical sciences initiative in Singapore. And I was there uh, on a consulting trip and just mentioned I was going to do something different, and I think this is insightful for how Singapore works. Philip and I chatted. Uh, I arrived home, and Philip called me uh, two days after I got back and asked if I and my wife, Dr. Judy Swain, who's also involved in this, could meet him in the provost of National University of Singapore, the dean of the medical school at National University of Singapore, for dinner. And we said, certainly. He said, good, we'll see you on Saturday night in Paris. And Judy and I jumped on a plane. We went there, met with the three of them, and three days later, these contracts arrived in the mail and we said, anybody that can move this quickly has really got something together we want to be a part of. And so the rest is history. And who is Philip Yo? What is his position over there? And why is he so influential? Philip at the time was the chairman of something called the Agency for Science, Technology, and Research, which is a major funder, a bit like the National Science Foundation and NIH roll together uh, in the United States. And in his role as the chairman of ASTAR, the Agency for Science, Technology, and Research, he had been the architect, along with Dr. Sidney Brenner, a Nobel laureate, in creating something called the Biopolis, which is a two million square foot research complex housing six research institutes and was really the beginning about seven years ago of the whole biomedical sciences initiative. And this size of this Biopolis, for our physician and clinician scientists. How big is that, and how does it compare, for example, to an academic medical center? It's about the size of, a, of an academic medical center. It's really a, a research community. It's designed in an extraordinarily interesting way. There are five or six buildings in this complex, very modern buildings housing research laboratories, conference rooms, all of the typical things we think of. But in addition, it's got a whole complex of restaurants, laundries, everything you need basically to contain the community, and the idea was was to bring together students, postdocs, research faculty, all at a common site and create a critical mass on what would be essentially a city block in the United States. And it has a life of its own there. It's this vibrant, dynamic community. And it's, I think, been an extraordinary success. It was started in about 2000, as I said, now it's 2 million square feet of research space. So it's quite large. It has six research institutes, things like a genome institute, a basic biology institute, a bioengineering institute, 
a translational clinical research, a, a GMP facility. So it's, a, in, in a way, a self-contained biomedical little city, if you will. And is this owned by the government or by a private sector or a combination? What's the ownership look like? The ownership is by the government. The Agency for Science, Technology, and Research is a branch of the Ministry of Trade and Industry. And so the funding is largely by the government, but housed in this complex are not just these research institutes, but a series of private sector companies. So, for example, Novartis has an Institute of Tropical Diseases there with about 150 scientists in it. GlaxoSmithKline has a a comparable-sized facility focused on neuroscience. Eli Lilly has a facility there. So it's a mixture of private sector research and development organizations embedded in these research institutes with the idea of fostering collaboration across these entities. And do the private sector people work directly with the public sector people, and do they exchange information, and how is stuff supposed to get to patients? Does it flow from the public to the private and then to the patient, or what happens? Well, the the private companies that are there, of course, they, they have their own research that they conduct, but the situation is such that they can share the facilities like animal facilities, microscopy, et cetera, with the government-funded investigators. In some cases, they actually collaborate, but I think it's the scientific community that makes it attractive for companies to be there, that the seminars that are taking place, the chance to bump into people at the restaurants that are there, they even have a a couple of little bars at night so that the, the students and the faculty can sit around and talk about science in a relaxed way at the end of the day. Something that's, that's maybe of interest to, to the listeners is that when Singapore decided to jump into all of this, that it's very new for Singapore. It all began about 2000, and as typical of Singapore, it was a, a commitment made from the highest levels of the government to make biomedical sciences one of the pillars of the economy. And so the construction of the Biopolis and the recruitment of the scientists to a base there was phase one of a biomedical sciences initiative. Included in this is a plan to train 1,000 PhDs, Singaporeans. Kids are allowed to go any place in the world they want with their undergraduate education and graduate education paid for in the condition they come back to Singapore for a few years after they complete their education. And as these young people are beginning to come back into this biopolis complex, Singapore has also recruited aggressively at the international level and brought in outstanding scientists from around the world, from the U.S., the U.K., Australia, China, and India. So it's a true global international community that's located there. The success of this first five years, I think, emboldened the government to move in phase two into a translational and clinical research agenda that, as we jokingly like to say, curing cancer in the mouse is not going to be enough in the long run. And the government, to realize its full objectives of improving the health of Singaporeans and people around the world, as well as building up its biotechnology and pharmaceutical industry, realized it needed to have a translational and clinical research agenda. And so that's what Judy Swain and I were invited to come over and help with, was to put together phase two of this initiative, which was done in, I would say, typical Singapore fashion, that a decision was made that a series of uh, a human capital initiative, that is the training and recruitment of physician scientists and Ph.D. scientists working at a translational level was needed, A set of infrastructure was needed to accomplish this, including things like clinical research centers and building of two academic medical centers. Hospitals and medical schools were needed to pull this off. And we're just beginning. We're two years into this, so I don't know if it's going to be as successful as the basic science side, but it's a 
really exciting experiment to watch unfold. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to a special report on global medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and joining us to discuss the globalization of medical research is Dr. Edward Holmes, Vice Chancellor and Dean Emeritus of the Health Sciences Center at the University of California, San Diego, and currently the Executive Deputy Chairman the Biomedical Research Council in Singapore, and Executive Chairman of the National Medical Research in Singapore. So what are your responsibilities then over in Singapore? Are you guiding the development of these clinical facilities and hospitals? Are you doing recruitment? Are you doing research? What's going on? Well, I don't do hands-on research any longer, Bruce. My responsibility was the government of Singapore appropriated $1.5 billion Singapore dollars for four years to launch this translational clinical research initiative. And the way that money is being utilized is through the Biomedical Research Council, the BMRC, and the National Medical Research Council. And I think what they had in mind in inviting someone like myself to hold a leadership position in both of these entities was to try to coordinate the funding streams, the granting mechanisms to achieve this objective of moving basic science out of the laboratories into the clinics. So what I've been asked to do is to help to develop a series of strategies for developing the human capital, the the training programs for the physicians and the physician scientists who will lead this effort, as well as funding schemes to recruit nationally and internationally. And there's been a reasonable amount of success in a short period of time in bringing outstanding physician scientists to Singapore, just as there was in phase one of bringing basic scientists to, to the Biopolis. A second component of this has been to develop an infrastructure that enables translational and clinical research. So one of the, the, the important objectives was to create two what we would call academic medical centers in the United States that is bringing together a medical school and a hospital. In Singapore, the, the hospitals are largely public hospitals owned by the government, and they're under the Ministry of Health. The medical school, National University Medical School, is under the Ministry of Education. And so a recommendation was made by a group of us to put these two together, the hospital, National University Hospital, and National University Medical School in a single entity. And then what I would say is record time compared to the U.S. and probably the U.K., all the way from our ground level up through the cabinet to the prime minister and back down again in six months, a decision was made to create a whole new governance body that brought together National University Hospital from the Ministry of Health and National University Medical School from the Ministry of Education. And I think it's sort of typical of what makes Singapore interesting and exciting right now is the speed with which things can be done and how effectively and efficient the government works to to see these things being done. In parallel, interestingly, Duke University has just recently opened a medical school in Singapore in conjunction with National University of Singapore. And that medical school in conjunction with Singapore General Hospital is now forming a second academic medical center. So my role, I would say, has been to advise the government on its granting mechanisms and also to help with the development of this infrastructure and creation of academic medical centers to foster translational and clinical research. And what will your next step be over there? When you finish this, will you be done, or will they find a new job for you, or will you stay on to manage whatever gets created? Maybe we'll have to have a second interview to answer that. I'm two years into a three-year contract, as is Judy in this, and we'll find out whether they want us to stay and help with something else after this and whether that's the right thing for us to do. But I must say it's been very, very exciting to see a country like Singapore bring together from the highest levels of the government 
through the various ministries, through the universities, through the Agency of Science, Technology, and Research, all of the various parties to affect what's really been a rather dramatic change in a short period of time. I think one of the objectives of Singapore would be to develop its, its biotechnology cluster along the lines of what's happened in San Diego and the Bay Area and Boston. And it's early days yet. It's only seven years into the process. But I think the, the science looked very promising for a successful outcome. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Edward Holmes, Vice Chancellor and Dean Emeritus of the Health Sciences Center at the University of California, San Diego, and currently Executive Deputy Chairman of the Biomedical Research Council in Singapore and Executive Chairman of the National Medical Research Council, also of Singapore, for joining us to discuss the globalization of medical research. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and you've been listening to a special report on global medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-639-6157. That's 888-639-6157. And thank you for listening.